So I told him, give me the one Clarks, you know, it's, this guy doesn't understand interstellar currents. Like, I'm trying to eat a flim flam. Like, that's what we eat on The Clark Zone is for flarping and unflarping only. audio samples and scheduling things in the audio engine and that's where it, it kind of gets beyond me but it takes a smart audio programmer to to get a proper metronome in unity really mm-hmm. i didn't even know that's crazy yeah what else is unity bad at <laughs> before we move on to what might be what it's good at right now <laughs> well, it's bad at all kinds of stuff <laughs> um it's easy to overload the physics. The physics are always kind of wonky. Um, <laughs> that's just a lot. Like, it doesn't really work how you want it to a lot of the times, so you have to go in and sort of make specific physics setups for specific physics interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Audio is, is a big one, just because you would think you could just, you know, you could just time stuff out and use time.delta time and like you know plot out when your stuff's going to happen but you have to go this other more convoluted route apparently i wonder why why that is it's it's not just a unity problem or it's it's a unreal and a unity problem do you think audio just just doesn't have the same you know how do you say it like glamour than visual 3d stuff and so and so yeah, it, like, it gets like less maybe it doesn't get enough respect mhm I think that's partially it, um, but I think the other reason this is something I'm learning more and more about all the time is floats are really weird, like floating numbers, you know, floating numbers with decimals and stuff like that. Uh-huh. It's really hard to get them to be accurate on a computer for some reason. What does a float and do? Or just remind me, what does a float so, do? So, like for instance, if you want your object, if you want to spawn an object at like, you know. The, co- the coordinates zero zero zero. Mm-hmm. You know, most of the time it'll spawn there at zero zero zero, but every once in a while it'll spawn at like zero dot zero 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 one or you know zero dot nine 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 nine. And <laughs> it's just this weird. I don't I don't know I don't know why it happens, but apparently it's tough to deal with floats with computers. <laughs> That's about as far as I can. <laughs> how often does it How often does it happen then? I don't know. It's it's weird. Like sometimes it'll happen consistently, and then sometimes it'll happen not consistently. Consistently, it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, Unity. I don't know. I'm just gonna let you do your thing. <laughs> I'll, maybe I'll restart Unity and see if it works again. Oh, okay. How, other than that, how many hours a day are you working? Are you getting enough sleep? How's that coming along? Oh man, I'm getting a good amount of sleep. I ugh, I work probably ten or twelve hours a day. Wow. Oh. And I, like, I'm feeling the I'm feeling the pain from it because um, my shoulders in the past few weeks have gotten real, real sore. And I think my posture is not good hmm. or not as good as it should be. And so I'm trying to take it easy. I just got a stand-up desk nice. that's got, like, this badass motor on it, and you can tell it to go up and down and stuff. <laughs> so that's helping. Um, but, yeah, just my posture has been bad, and I've... Pretty much been working 
12-hour days for the past six months without taking any breaks, and so that's not a thing that you should do. You know, sp- posture is a posture is a bitch because it like it sneak up, it sneaks up on you. Like you, mm-hmm. you, you can you you're like yeah, this is this is my normal state of being, and next thing you know, you're just like, ow, holy crap, why does this? It's not. I'm not. I'm not that old. It's not supposed to hurt like this right now. You know. Um, yeah. I, I I highly recommend um, a foam roller. Uh, the foam roller, in my opinion, is the poor man's chiropractor. Um, okay. So yeah, what I. Is- what is that? It's this it's this um foam cylinder that you roll your back over like your spine and then you just you just hear all the cracking as you're rolling your spine slowly clack 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 and it feels so fucking good you're just going through it. And uh yeah, it's just a couple of times uh, once a day and yeah, you you'll have the back of a Shaolin monk <laughs> <laughs> sitting on beds of nails, you know, nothing can phase you. Um Oh, yeah, highly recommend foam rolling. It's really good. Um, I might have to get one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And standing desk. I mean, you're already halfway there. Hold on. Let me add, let me let's go on a tangent for a sec. Is it true that um, standing desks actually are not as how do you say as um, beneficial to you as people say they are? In your personal experience, how has the standing desk been working for you? I, I like it a lot. I like it because you can switch really easily from standing to sitting. Mm-hmm. And so that's the big thing for me is if I just stay in one position all day, then that's when I start getting sore. But if I'm switching constantly, I'll stand up 30 minutes, sit down for 30 minutes. You know, it's more about the movement and getting circulation. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't stand all day. Yeah. I mean, the real the real crazy people will mount a treadmill under their desk so they're standing but they're also walking all day <laughs> i would trip i would trip up and yeah. I, i'd be that guy on uh, fail army uh, on youtube uh, <laughs> uh, the weekly videos because it's um i don't i'm not very good at multitasking <laughs> i walking and working at the same time i don't know i think it would be especially precarious if you're developing for vr yeah because <laughs> Just gonna be falling a lot. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I figured I I started I started measuring or, or gauging myself where like all right after four hours, um, being standing and working gets kind of distracting because you're just like okay you know now I, I'm noticing of my, I, I'm more cognizant of my heel discomfort so maybe I should sit down so there's there's a third certain threshold at which you get diminishing returns from standing. Um, mm-hmm. with, in just a stationary position. I, I've realized though that, um, and I don't know who said this. I think I was talking to Chris Matson, deep drifter. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me about how, um, walking and talking, that's good for you. Um, really? Yeah. And I agree with that a hundred percent. If I could do a, 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 a podcast, uh, with a 360 camera live stream, you and I walking down Austin, um, food truck to food truck, food to food truck or barbecue to barbecue, um, and talking and walking and eating like that'd be, that'd be fucking awesome. Then again, I don't know if it'd be good for the audience to just watch us eat. <laughs> it's, just... it's like, it's like comedians in cars getting coffee. Have you ever watched that? What? That's a thing. It's a uh, Jerry Seinfeld's, uh, YouTube show where he just goes and hangs out with his comedian friends and then and they drive around in a cool car and then they go get coffee and it's just them talking 
that's very cool. that's very Seinfeld Seinfeld ish. Oh, it, it totally is. You know, you could do game developers on sidewalks eating tacos. <laughs> yes, that that would be a, a easy, an easel, easily a viral hit sensation. Um. <laughs> so, I, I, oh, how how are you uh, eating? Are you eating well? Are you taking care of that too? What are you, my mom? I'm, dude. I mean, I gotta go through the whole gamut. I got a whole list of different. I got a checklist. I gotta check up on you, man. <laughs> I, I I'm eating well. I'm I'm in the smoothie zone, so I'll make up a nice smoothie every morning with some berries and some orange juice and some spinach and a little bit of almond butter and some coconut oil and that's that's my breakfast. Awesome. Last question, you know, on the checklist: How are your poops? Are you regular? Are they, you know, are they, are they nice? They and... got honestly, they got all out of whack uh, <laughs> with Thanksgiving. Yeah. I, and I celebrated Thanksgiving twice with like. My family, and then we went to their hometown, and then we celebrated again. So it was, um, <laughs> it got all out of whack. I think I'm getting back in sync, though. Was uh, What was the uh, Thanksgiving feast like, or what kind of food did you get? Did you eat? It was great. It was great. So I make uh, mashed potatoes every year. Oh, man, I love me some mashed potatoes. I love me some mashed potatoes. I'm sorry, I just need, needed to say that. <laughs> me too, man. It's the, it's the best part. So I made garlic mashed potatoes and spicy, some spicy taters, and I also made apple pie. Nice. Um, other than that, you know, turkey, dressing, all the all the typical things. Good stuff. I went to my dad took me to Las Vegas when I was uh, twelve or something, and bad idea for him. Honestly, you don't bring a twelve year old to Vegas. I guess there's not a lot that you can do. And, and, and honestly, Circus Circus gets old fast. <laughs> you have you been to Circus Circus? No, I don't think so. Uh, you, well, now you can avoid it. <laughs> you're, you're not at the age anyways. Um, I'm a man, uh, maybe if you're drunk enough. But here's the thing. Yeah, Vegas is not a good town for kids, and I, I would say, I would argue. And he, um, he, it was exacerbated, exacerbated to him by the fact that every buffet that we went to go eat at, I would stuff my face with just mashed potatoes. And he was just getting he was getting he was getting annoyed that I was stuffing my face with mashed potatoes and I wouldn't eat the other food as much. Um, he's just like, listen, man, like we're spending all this money, you're just eating mashed potatoes. I'm like, dude, I'm put I'm I'm gathering data here. I want to figure out which casino buffet has the best mashed potatoes. And I found that the Mandalay Bay had the best mashed potatoes back when oh. I was twelve. Um, I don't know about it now, though. <laughs> yeah. Have you uh, have you done any traveling in the last uh, few months or so? Um, hmm. You know, the last place I went was Oculus Connect. Mm. Tell me about your experience. What was it like, man? It was it was fantastic. Nice. Um. Yeah, you know, we did the beach house thing. It was cool mm-hmm. catching up with all you guys, and it, it was fun. It felt a lot bigger, but I also, I remember walking around and, like, trying to go places, and it was like, you couldn't go anywhere without running into somebody that you knew. Yeah. You know, it was awesome. Like, you'd just be walking around, and there's con- conversations everywhere you go. Yeah. My tribe, my people, I'm with you. It was, yeah, mm-hmm. it was awesome. No, it was good. Were you wearing green pants this year? was indeed yeah. that that's the uh, signature aram lemke uh, green pants um please don't ever take them off um. <laughs> i'm wearing them right now i've been wearing them since connect <laughs> as you should be as you should be, of course um any plans to travel in the future any any exciting things coming along 
Well, I just signed up for the Unity Vision Summit, hmm. which is a conference they're doing in February that's all about AR and VR. Nice. That's so going to be in L.A., right? Mm-hmm. I think it's at the Lowe's. Oh, cool. What are you hoping to gain out of that? What do you think it's going to... I don't know. You know, I, I, don't, I just go to these things. I Really, it's, it's about meeting people. That's, yeah. that's, that's the most important part about these conferences for me. Because, um, you know, you can, most of the time you can watch all these talks online afterwards. Yeah. But it's, it's the people and it's the conversations you have. Has it, is it easy to socialize at these things, you would say? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, you know, at, at a VR conference, you're all, it feels like everybody's in on the same secret. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, has that, yeah. Would you, would you say it's more, it, we're kind of like this, uh, well, I don't know. I, it, what, what, how would you, if you could put the VR community in a box, uh, put it in a one word or a couple words or a phrase, you know, what is it right now? Are we, are we a, 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 um, techno cult? <laughs> Are we uh, the next generation of um, ha- I, don't, I don't know, techno hippies? I, I don't know. I, what would you does? Do we even need to have that question asked? I don't know. You know, we're all optimists about this technology. Yeah. Um, we think it's, we believe in it. We think it's going to happen. And we also I think most of us think that it's going to change the world in some way. Yeah. That this technology is so powerful that it's going to change the way we live our lives. Let me ask you a question that I've been struggling with a little bit here. Um, thinking I've been, I been, on me. I've been, <laughs> I've been inside my head too much, and I and I and I need your help to get out of my head. Um, you know, the question of, um, and this is this isn't just true to VR. I feel like you can replace v- VR and for anything and with this question but you know the question of altruism versus monetization you know um and i and i and what is what are and i wonder like where what is the line that is going to be drawn um you know in terms of you know if you if you if you go the monetization route um and you all care about all you care about is creating the next candy crush of vr you know um where is the line in the sand that you're not willing to cross um for with your customers, you know, or, um, you know, like, uh, unsolicited, unsolicited tracking, um, you know, the, the things that are happening right now where, you know, you're a company or an app startup will sell people's information to third parties like that, that obvious, those are obvious things. But with VR as a medium, I wonder what the, that line in the sand will be for consumers going forward. Um, and then, and then the other thing that I'm thinking about just overall though, as someone who is, as someone who is trying, as people who are in the industry thinking about how to go forward, you know, like, you know, how is that relationship between altruistic ideas and making money going to play out, you know, in the future? Like, and, and especially when I look at things like, and here's the thing, I'm not shitting on Buzzfeed, but 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 when you when you compare how much um eyeballs uh a TMZ BuzzFeed sort of you know piece of content will have compared to something like Clouds over Sidra or you know you know the verse sort of experiences or educational you know Neo's the universe sort of experiences 
you, you know, like my struggle is like, you know, people are going to see and entrepreneurs and investors and VCs are going to see all the money being made in the BuzzFeed sort of uh, TMZ sort of, you know, world. And that's going to accelerate. And I feel like I'm, I, I worry I, and, and please help me with this worry that we're going to accelerate in an idiocracy <laughs> um, because because pe because it'll just be this self-fulfilling uh, loop of like you know somehow people just like it, it because it hit you know these things tap into our I feel like this content taps into our more primal senses you know sex uh, lust scandal um, whereas things that are more thought-provoking are um, are a bit harder to grasp yeah I think you could say the same about television. Oh. And you could probably, if you went back far enough, you could say the same thing about radio. Yeah. Uh, one thing I know, too, about uh, the origins of the U.S. Postal Service, a lot of the mail that um, was first sent out was subscriptions to porn magazines. Yeah. Um, so I think it just goes with technology that all the seedy stuff, all the people making seedy stuff get into it first. Um, uh, I think the issue of altruism versus monetization it's a, it's it's not binary you know it's a sliding scale hmm. and the way i think about it is how can i monetize to the extent that i need to in order to make another thing yeah. you know like the the goal for me is let's make enough money on on zenzone to make another thing i don't know what it is yet um and as much as I like giving stuff away for free, and I've done that a little bit, um, you got you got to be able to you got to be able to fund yourself somehow. Right. Um, hold on one second. Okay, hold on to that thought. I'm going to. All right, I'm with you. So yeah. Um, so so I, I agree in the sense that yeah, the problem is or the the way to look at the thing is not is not binary. Um, I think it is it is a bit of a spectrum. Um, I just, uh, I just have the sense or a little bit of angst towards the future. At the same time, at the same time, um, I was just listening to a little bit of Dan Carlin here and there. Um, and he was talking about, uh, this guy named James Burke and James Burke has these ideas of, of, uh, how back in the day, like hundreds or thousands of years ago, you know, innovation and progress happened because it, you had a select few minds, just a few people just working really hard, really like geniuses, you know, um, putting their brain power to figuring out new tools of war, new tools of farming. But to, in today's world, you know, we have, we could, we have more, it's just exponentially more, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of minds working on um, these, you know, uh, on innovation and accelerating technology. My thinking, my, and, and again, follow me down the rabbit hole and like me, and let me think what you think of this idea. Let's go down the rabbit hole. Let's go there. Because Let's do it. my thinking is that if, if we're able to create this uh, more ubiquitous sort of uh, virtual reality that everybody has access to, will we, because again, the difference between um, the internet uh, and the virtual world is that, in my mind, is that internet is where you access information, but in the virtual world, you access experience. And my thinking is that by 
giving everybody the ability to be in the same place at the same time it'll be like it'll be like um it, 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 you know like the contrast is back in the day you had venice and you had rome and you had uh you know london and you had all these cities where people worked really hard and they were really disconnected from each other but now everybody in the world no matter where you live you can be in the same place in the same co-working space in the virtual world and so by that measure are we aggregating the minds you know are, are we aggregating minds and putting them in one place so to speak meaning that we could accelerate even more than we think we could and 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 if that's the case, that would be fucking awesome. Um, because now you know, yeah, we can we can work and collaborate in the same space, but also have tools that we could have never imagined before to collaborate with. Um, but you know, what do you think? I mean, is that is that is that profitable yet? Is it who who could yeah. do this? Who could pull this off though? I think the second somebody makes a shared space productivity app. For virtual reality, it's it's going to be it's going to be a game changer. Um, just just having a virtual whiteboard that you and a team of people can go into, and you're all across the world, but you can all be in the same place and write on the same whiteboard and come up with ideas. I do think it's it's going to accelerate things, um, and I think not only with just general productivity, but with with specific uh, niches, with specific um, uh, arts as well. So painting or sculpting, you know, tilt brush is, is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Hmm. And there's no multiplayer yet, but I can imagine when there is multiplayer, you know, it's going to be twice as cool. The stuff that they can make is going to be twice as interesting because it's two people collaborating in real time and they're going to inspire each other. They're going to, they're going to come up with ideas that they never would have thought of by themselves. And I think, you know, so I'm really, really excited about this PS4 game called Dreams, hmm. which is by Media Molecule. They're the the studio behind Little Big Planet. Yeah, and awesome. I'm just obsessed with it, and like it's not out yet, but there's all these great um, videos of them playing it. And basically, it's it's uh it's part sculpting tool, it's part game engine, and it's part um um user-generated content sort of shared space like little big planet was that's that, that was the feeling i was getting from uh watching some of the trailers i was i was looking at them uh, at the trailer and i thought of uh somehow thinking like these guys they just uh this is just a game engine and it's a dumbed down game engine yeah. and they put a gui over some of the stuff that you can do with it and now and i think I think that's awesome. I think we need more of these things. Mm -hmm. um, it's taking the lessons we've learned from interface design and UX design, and 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 applying them to to game engines. Yeah. What's uh What's your take on PSVR? PSVR. I'm, I'm super pumped. I think uh, you know that it, that could be the big platform because if you think about it it's it's the lowest barrier to entry if you want to get into good vr yeah. uh so if you have a ps4 already what i don't know how much they cost you paid you know three or four hundred bucks for it and if you want to get into vr then it's only 300 bucks to get the headset yeah. um whereas with oculus or with vive uh it's going to be a three four hundred dollar headset but you're also going to have to have a crazy ass computer which most people don't have. Yeah, 
that um that is a that is a very big uh, I think obstacle for adoption in the first couple of years. Um, it's again, it's why I sound like a broken record always saying that there's an opportunity for arcades here to make a quick comeback. Um, but only so only you only have so much time, really. I think the window of opportunity will close up pretty quick. Um, yeah, I yeah. Think, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, people like uh, V Arcade are doing really, really cool stuff, and actually, uh, I've probably told you this story before, but one of the actually the first VR podcast that I ever listened to was you interviewing Jamie Kelly huh. from VRcade. And I wasn't even making VR games at that point. I was just interested in it. And I listened to that and I, I just got so excited thinking about all the different things you could do and, and listening to the way you guys talked about it and the passion that y'all had for it got me so pumped up. And really just gave me the confidence to go out and, and try making my own games. So I, I, I owe a lot to that, that podcast. No, man, Jamie Kelly, shout outs to him. I need to bring him back. Yeah, it's been a while. I wonder, they, um, they were... They were in Dave & Buster's. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. They, they have this thing, uh, Dave & Buster's, not too far from where I live. Um, and the people that I've uh, that I know that I went to try, they, yeah, they didn't, they've enjoyed it. So good on them. Um, so, but but see, the type of arcade that I'm thinking of is something more simplistic, and this might be, this might be, hopefully not poisoning the well, but I feel like you don't, you know, you could go for the whole arcade void-like experience where people are walking literally in this warehouse filled with 4D elements or whatnot. But you could also do it old school, like the 1980s arcades, where the Sony Morpheus or PSVR, I like Morpheus, by the way, uh, the PSVR. Yeah, what is PSVR? Yeah. Like, come on, guys. Morpheus yeah. was a badass name. It wasn't bad. Morpheus is the god of dreams or whatever. Like, yeah. That's great. <sighs> they, they missed, they, they missed these, these project prototype names. They're so much better. <laughs> than what the real thing comes out with. Like, remember when uh, Nintendo Wii was Project Dolphin? I wouldn't mind a Nintendo Dolphin, you know? <laughs> um, I don't know about the other... There's there's other cool names, but it's just, yeah, I don't know why. They just, just should have kept Morpheus. Um, but my my going back to the arcade thing, like, I'm thinking of, like, if you wanted to start a, start a quick business, I think... And this could be proven really easily, or this could be really successful in Asia, for example, in Korea, where you got these internet cafes or PC cafes. They're called PC bongs, and they um, it's just rows and rows of PCs, and these guys are just sitting there playing StarCraft. And I figured, well, why don't we just replace StarCraft with you know Gran Turismo 5 or 7, whatever, on PlayStation 4 or an HTC Vive sitting experience or you know just standing experience. Um, and then and and yeah, I mean, you just be the middleman uh, for a little while. Um, it, I don't think it would cost that much, um, and you just bring hella people in. I think that's gonna happen, honestly. Um, I was talking to um, an investor or an angel investor the other day, and he was just talking about how um, yeah, this thing VR thing is gonna take off in China really bad, big, like in a really? big way, yeah. Um, yeah, they're just like, yeah, no, people are, uh, going all in with this. There's already arcades and the reasoning why, like he was like, yeah, you know, he was so nonchalant about it. Yeah. People want to escape reality. <laughs> yep. And I was like, ah, you know, I, I agree with that statement, but I feel like, you know, it just feels like, um, 
it, 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 I lost a little bit of hope for humanity for a little bit because <laughs> I was like, you're, you're kind of right. Fuck. Uh, why do we want to escape reality? I mean, and this is not just uh, a new thing to VR. I mean, this was with books. This was a radio. This was a TV. Um, mm-hmm. But what do you think will be the difference here? Well, just the phrase escape reality. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of loaded. It, yeah. it, it implies that there's something bad about reality that you have to escape and get away from. But it's not that reality is bad. It's that virtual reality is anything you want it to be. Yeah. And it's it's not a, an escape. It's more of a vacation. It's a positive difference. You know, it's not a negative difference. Um, it's it's it is escape, but it's I, I don't know. There, there needs to be a, a different phrase than escape reality. I have this notion that VR has. Um you know, I think the technical problems are being handled quite elegantly and nicely. And I think, um, you know, the, the fact that we have, you know, Carmack and Gaben and, you know, the whole Shuhei Yoshida and all, it, it just these giant names and people and companies putting on, uh, you know, amazing work um, on the technical front. I feel like VR is of going to face a bit of a marketing challenge because... I was talking to my, my my cousin the other day. We were playing Star Wars Battlefront, and he's a he's a Call of Duty player. Um, he's a filthy Call of Duty player, and he was like, um, you know, a lot of my friends don't want to get Star Wars Battlefront because it's a game for because everybody thought that it was a game for nerds. And I got him around to playing it with me and my other little cousin, what? and we had a fucking blast, man. You can be Darth Vader and force choke the shit out of dudes, man. It's awesome. It's, how old is your cousin? So he's like 21, right? So, okay. So he's and he, he and his buddies didn't he, want to play just, Battlefront. They're like, yeah, like, it's oh, re- it's nerdy. It's nerdy, exactly. And and what? so in my opinion, and so and, and I finally brought him around. Well, he's a Call of Duty guy. That he's he might that's. See, a, I know people like that. Call of Duty <laughs> guys only like playing Call of Duty, and every other video game is nerdy to them. But it's like, hey, dude, you just spent all day playing Call of Duty. So. <laughs> So so yeah, they're they're Call of Duty nerds. Um, so yeah. I, I brought them. They're almost. I mean, some of the people that I've met, it's almost like they're Call of Duty jocks. And it's <sighs> like, oh, it's this cool thing. <laughs> it's. I mean, it, it, here's the thing. I. Ooh, that's a good point. Considering considering that it's it's coming to a point where like games are moving into the world of esports. Mm-hmm. So you you do I guess you could see a jock sort of mentality you know jocks are those football players and the athletes you know and maybe yeah, yeah maybe I don't I, th- I, think... I mean I only say that because I've met a few people who they play Call of Duty and that's the only game they play and every other game to them is really nerdy and stupid. <laughs> so I finally brought him around. He played Battlefront, loved it. He's like, this is so much better. At Call of Duty. Call of Duty's stupid now. <laughs> Um, and, and, and so in my mind, I think about, you know, what, what his buddies still won't try Battlefront. And I think it's not about what the product is. It's what people think it is. Absolutely. And so, and so this is the thing with it's you know, this whole escaping VR and the marketing challenges of VR, like all the criticisms, well, you got to figure out a way to flip them on their head. You know, you're escaping reality. No, 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 no. I'm enhancing reality. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're, you're not. You're isolationist. You're not social. No, no, no. I'm more social than I've ever been. Right. Um, you know, it's just every single criticism we got to figure out how to flip it on its head because I think the uh, the coin has two sides. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, people are going to see what they want to see. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff like seeing Stephen Colbert wear a Gear VR. You know, <laughs> that was a that, good segment. That's huge for us. Yeah. Just, just putting it out there and saying this is a technology that's going to come. It's it's on its way. It's already here. Get ready for it. Yeah. That's that's huge. That's um that yeah that's that was a, se- a good segment by the way. <laughs> um, I thought it was hilarious. I mean, he had it on for seven minutes. You know? <laughs> it was great. And did he? I wonder if he had the pass through camera enabled. I don't. I don't know. I thought maybe he had some kind of teleprompter in there. <laughs> they loaded up like just just his script, so he could keep track of what he was saying. I don't know. Dude, that could be the future of comedy then. Think about it. Everybody, oh, but 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 then you wouldn't need a VR headset. You could just have some sort of uh, smaller like, AR, you know, having mm-hmm. a teleprompter projected in front of you, your little right. um, comedy notes or whatever. That's uh, listen, That'd be cool. patent that idea, Marilyn Lemke. Patent that now. Go find a lawyer. <laughs> All right, go sell it to Lauren Michaels. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, no. Where was I going to go with this? Um, VR, the VR marketing challenges are yet to come. Um, and I think you're right. People are going to think what they want to think until they try it. Um, well, you look at stuff like the HTC Vive World Tour, mm-hmm. and that that to me is so great because it's them getting on the ground, face to face with real people who don't understand virtual reality, and giving them a chance to try it. And that's that's what it's going to take, you know. It's going to take stuff like that, and then it's going to take, you know, whoever your early adopter tech maven friend is coming over and saying, "Oh, VR is the coolest. It's a real thing. You got to check this out." Yeah. I, who, who? What other famous person could influence? Um, so Obama needs to put on a Gear VR or or a Rift. Obama, yeah. CC. Um, it's, it's about time, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I wonder if if Trump putting on a Gear VR and HTC Vive would be helpful for the industry. But but again, oh, hey, man, I don't know if we want that. Hey, money is money, Aaron Lemke. Right. <laughs> that's, that's one thing Donald Trump knows. Remember, sure. altruism versus monetization. Money well, over, hey, always had, wins. Bill Gates tweeted a thing. He was playing tennis in the Vive a few weeks ago. That was pretty cool. Did you read the article that Bill Gates put out a little while ago on climate change? No, dude, dude, read it. And so will I, because I just found out about it. And uh, through the Dan Carlin podcast and holy shit, there's um, finally (laughs) we have we have someone billions of dollars and he's apparently going on this world tour right now, um, going from country to country, speaking to world leaders, trying to sell them his plan to uh, alleviate this climate change thing, because holy fuck, it's December 1st. In Daly City, right next to San Francisco, and it's like summer weather right now, and mm-hmm. this shit is not right. Like, mm-hmm. I'm yeah, like I, I think um, I think in my mind uh, I'm going to become more and more of an alarmist because mm-hmm. I'm uh, concerned that you know do, I remember I used to watch documentaries back in like uh, 2000. Or 1998, like mm-hmm. Discovery Channel documentaries, and they used to say how you know two degree, you know degree two degrees Celsius uh, rise in temperature would be catastrophic. Mm-hmm. And now we're like, yeah, it's kind of inevitable. <laughs> I think that's that ship that ship left a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So what are we looking at? Six degrees, like in this century, dude. Yeah, I think fundamentally climate change is a perspective problems that. 
the human species have. And we don't, we don't realize the fragility of the earth. We don't have any kind of way of wrapping our head around that, uh, which is why I'm super pumped for things like space VR and all these different companies that want to go strap VR cameras onto the ISS. Because mm-hmm. um, there is this thing called the overview effect that astronauts talk about where, you know, after they've seen the Earth from space, they have this new appreciation for the fragility of Earth and for, you know, we're all together, for humanity as a whole. Yeah. And if we can use VR to, to give that perspective to people, I think that's the most noble thing you can do. You know, the, I think the clo- one of the close, not not even that close, but I, I think it helps to go to nature itself. Go to a forest. Go go to the ocean, and stare at that motherfucking monster, and know that you that your you, that thing could take you away like this, like that. And and so you know, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, just just imparting the the power of nature and the insignificance of of the human. I mean, this was. Early on when I started making games, I made a game about this, about the American transcendentalists mm-hmm. and, you know, Henry David Thoreau and uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, these guys, their whole their whole philosophy was um, transcending, transcending yourself through appreciation of nature and realizing how insignificant you are. And so if you look at paintings from this era, from the Hudson River School, it, a lot of them, most of them are these epic nature scenes and like big storms rolling in and rivers and, uh, but they'll always have a little tiny human somewhere in the painting to, to kind of give you that perspective of look at this powerful nature that we live in. But don't forget, we're just this little tiny thing, you know, hmm. nature could swallow us up any minute if it wanted to. Yeah. That's why I would never go on a, um, you know, one of those – you ever hear stories of people who go out and sail around the world on a little boat or something? Like a sail? Mm-hmm. Fuck that, man. <laughs> nope a million times. Because yeah. my, my biggest fear is in, in that sort of circumstance is being caught up in a storm, in a giant storm in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of the dead of the night. And just mm-hmm. you in there being rocked back and forth and you have no idea when the next wave is going to hit. Because it's just black, pitch black. That nature be... is nature is indifferent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I learned that at Burning Man. Nature does not give a fuck. People, the people were nice, and it made a. And but the desert, the desert does not give a fuck about your positive vibes. And... That's so nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was it was it was it was uh, enlightening to say the least. Um, but yeah, are you coming next year? The Burning Man VR. Uh... Man, I want to. I I don't know how to do Burning Man. Well, you uh, have come to the right place, sir. <laughs> uh, I want to. I would love, especially the thing that I'm working on now for the Vive, I think would work <laughs> really, really well at Burning Man. Yeah? What are you working on the Vive? So I I, I don't want to say too much about it, but okay, it's a okay. it's a, it's a a musical instrument. <gasps> so yeah. exciting. It's, it's pretty cool. Okay. And actually, I was going to – I forgot to ask you earlier, but um, – if you want, I could play a little bit of it at the end. That's kind of, you know, that's kind of my thing is to come on and play music. Please, of course. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> cool, cool. Because I can record it here and then we can we can edit it all together. Perfect. Yes, that'd be awesome. 
cool. I'm excited. This is great, man. You, yeah, this, you're the gift that gift keeps on giving. You'd be perfect at Burning Man, honestly. Um, and yeah, um, let's 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 talk after the podcast, and yes, we'll, uh, I agree. we'll 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 keep we'll coordinate because I'm putting together a, a a team of Avengers that will go out there and. Uh, um, not, I'm not putting together. Uh, me and a few others um, are putting something awesome, and it's going to be great. Um, so you would be all, you would be awesome out there. I, I can't wait. Let's do it. Let's yeah, do it. let's make it happen. Um, okay, so you so you have a Vive. Um, do you have a Rift Dev Kit? A CB Wonder Rift Kit? No, I haven't gotten one of those yet. No, okay. I, I yeah, I haven't really been talking to Oculus that much. I just got done with the gear stuff, and I've kind of just been in Vive Land for the past few weeks. How is Vive Land? It's the best land there is. <laughs> Are you playing any of the games? Have you been playing any of the, uh, you know, the? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I I play a lot of Tilt Brush. Really? It's it's just so fun, and I've gotten a lot better at it actually, because um, there's you know there's like any like any tool there's different techniques, mm-hmm. and once you kind of get your head around these techniques, you can you can start making really cool stuff. Um, I, I play that one a lot. I play a lot of Fantastic Contraption, which what? is this this game where you build these little contraptions. That uh, there's a video online. It's hard to explain. Is that the one that PewDiePie was playing? And it was just this. Uh... Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Um, that sounds cool though. Because you have to like put together this thing that goes and pops balloons or something, and or no, maybe I'm thinking of something else. Yeah, that might be that might be something else. Okay, okay. PewDiePie has a Vive. No, no, he was playing oh. on regular. Um, oh, okay. But okay. yeah, he it, it. I'm shocked he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, just give him one. For real. <laughs> He's like the biggest media outlet in the world, almost. One man. Mm-hmm. Would you want to be a PewDiePie? Hmm. You know, Chris, I've never thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, now it's the time. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know. I I, I I don't think I'd be very good at it. You know. Yeah. He's like he's he's really good at it, and yeah. he's crazy and he's funny. There's um I, my um my my fear for that is for I mean if I were him is like how do I how do I take this back how do I how do I go back to normal. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, it's like what, you're walking into into a dream that you can't get out of. Um, yeah, whoa. Yeah, because it because people would dream to be him um, and live his mm-hmm. life, but but how long could the dream last? Um, yeah, being a yeah. dream, right? I don't know. I then again, money and <laughs> lots of money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I actually PewDiePie played one of my very first games, Fire Breather, the one I was talking about earlier. Really? That's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> what do you say? Uh, he liked he he liked it just because it's really insane. I mean, you don't. There's no goals really. It's just it's really a prototype where, like I said, you use the microphone and the louder you yell, the more fire spits out of your mouth. Mm. And so it's just kind of a wacky, fun thing to do. And he played it for a little bit. Nice. How did you? How did you find that? Did he find it by himself? Did someone send yeah, it? Yeah, he found it on his own. I don't know. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't contact me or anything. Like, I, if only he had said something about Unello or Fire Breather or anything. Um, but yeah, he didn't really. He didn't really mention it, me or or the company. <laughs> <laughs> Man, uh, that's crazy. How many views did that did that video get? You know, like five million. Or something. <laughs> Holy it's, fuck! It's, it's absurd. 
Yeah, after a while, I feel like you would just get desensitized to those numbers, you know? Yeah, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. It's um, it's nice. I I like I like individuals. I I, I like yeah. individuals because and, and this is this isn't just my idea. I don't know where I got this from. Someone and I, and I was like, that's a good idea. That's mine now. I but I like individuals. Um, I I am weary of crowds. Um, because mm. the individual mind is more complex. Um, that we're four dimensional. Um, I just made that up. It, but the crowd mentality or the is is or especially in live experiences is much less smart or mm-hmm. complex you know it's anger drives yeah. anger fear drives we're not, fear we're not great at making decisions <laughs> in groups right unless we become a swarm mind i, I was reading some article from uh, singularity hub or something like that where you know some scientist or researcher or blogger can't recall he was talking about how you know are, we need to have a counterbalance against um artificial intelligence uh just just something that is 100 percent synthetically created um and how would that how would we offset that if not by becoming a swarm hive mind that would work um, in cooperation to make sure that we don't get left behind or that make sure that the hive mind or that the AI doesn't uh, destroy us all or I don't know, or, or keep up with know, its man. intelligence. I don't know, man. <laughs> Again, what, what, how many neurons are in the human brain? What, a hundred billion maybe, I think? Yeah, I think so. And then what, seven billion people on the planet? Uh, times a hundred billion, you know that's a lot of neurons, man. You know we <laughs> we it's it, it then again then again if you read the Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, I don't think it would matter. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you read that book? Have you checked it out? No. Is it like AI <gasps> taking over? Dude, it's fucking crazy. Just the first couple <laughs> chapters. Holy crap, man! It's Let me like write that down. The, immediately the 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 AI just becomes omnipotent all-knowing all-powerful and you just like yeah and, and humans were trying to take it out spoiler alert spoiler which is a quick one um <laughs> the humans the president of the united states finds out that uh this supercomputer ai became sentient and cognizant and also had the ability to morph matter and he starts uh making procedures to move on silicon valley and nuclear bomb all of it <laughs> um but but the AI was like, no, Mr. President, I'm sorry, you can't do that. You know, uh, mm. it's again, and he's just, and, and this is where I was like, whoa, holy fuck, we could just be, we could be ants, babies, whatever, you know, name your chihuahuas versus, you know, this this mind, this new thing. You know, how yeah. long? How long? All right, give give yourself a a timeline. How long before you and I have to go and uh, fight Skynet? Oh gosh. I don't know enough about AI to give a good answer to that question. Okay. Okay. You know, I didn't think it was I didn't think it was even something worth worrying about for the next 20 years and then, you know, a few months ago, Elon Musk said creating AI is summoning the demon and yeah. you know, I, I I trust that guy. He's smarter than I am and I just didn't think it was something worth worrying about. No. Would you rather stay on this planet or leave this planet? If would, uh, if the shit went down, to go somewhere else, I would love to go to a different planet. Really? But okay, but but without yeah. the option of coming back, you can't come back. Ooh, if I'm old, if I'm old, mm-hmm. I'm I'm cool with going to Mars. Yeah, I feel like I feel like if I if I live the life um, between now and the time that I'm a hundred, 
at a salary of $90,000 a year where I could travel and do all sorts of shit. You know, at, by, by the time I reach 100, I'll be like, all right, I can't. I guess I'm kind of done with this planet. Um, <laughs> and, and by then, you know, I can start moving on um, to uh, becoming more cyborg-like. Um, yeah. And, you know, not get and, and work on not being bo bored all the time so that I can last the travel of uh, deep space travel. Mm -hmm. I've been watching a lot of Rick and Morty lately. Um, oh, man. Dude. Me too. You, yeah? Yeah? Oh, yeah. I, I, it's <sighs> the best cartoon on television. I um I can't believe it's taking me this long to find out about it. Did you just find out about it, too? Or you? Oh, Oh no, you're 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 new, you're new to it. Yeah, I'm a total virgin. Oh wow, Dude. that must be awesome. Oh my god, oh my god, I had to watch it twice, and it was both both times. You got to do both. It's the so good. The, sh the shows are really dense. You yeah. know, there's a lot of concepts. Yeah. And you, you kind of have to go over it a couple of times to get it all. They they touched on yeah they touched on so many things and more. Um, <laughs> And and here I was trapped in this world of uh, you know or or at least in the possibilities of interstellar travel and in Rick and Morty they're like crossing dimensions and dealing with all the different Ricks across all the different dimensions that that was just blowing my uh, mind constantly it was great the, the first episode of the second season <laughs> is that what you're talking about uh, yeah just the whole, yeah that one and the one where the the galactic or the interdimensional federation of Ricks. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's yeah. I actually been thinking about multiple multiple dimensions a lot because there's a really cool feature in Fantastic Contraption where you like put on this helmet mm -hmm. and then that's you enter into this like different dimension where you can save and load different levels. Mm -hmm. um, but just the idea of a game where you can switch between different dimensions or even different re realities. And like you're trying to accomplish some goal across all of them, but they all have a little part to play in whatever that solving that goal is. I don't know. It's just something I've been playing around with, but I think it could be really cool. Hmm. Definitely multiplayer based, you would say. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Um, what's your favorite episode so far? <laughs> oh man, there's one in the second season where they go to an arcade. And they play this game called Roy, yeah. and it like slows down time for the person playing it, and you basically just like live out the entire life of this other human, and then you that and then you die, and that's the end of the game. Yeah, that was good. That concept is beautiful. That was. Is that the future of virtual reality? Is that what is that what we're gonna do um, in the Maybe. future? I mean, time dilation is a real thing. Whenever your body releases adrenaline, yeah, your your sense of time slows down quite a bit. Hmm. That's why you hear people saying, you know, if they're in a car wreck, like, oh, everything moved in slow motion. Well, it's because stuff actually does move in slow motion for you. Yeah, that's uh, that was a good. That was. <laughs> Do you think we'll we'll uh, you and I in our lifetimes will ever see? a device that will turn off our brains and will transport us into this new reality where we can be another human being and not get a social security card and go off the grid with Roy. <laughs> <Off the grid. laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't, I, it's hard to, it's hard to even think that far ahead. Yeah. Something I do think we're going to see though is games where if you want, before you strap in and start <laughs> playing it, 
you can take some sort of amnesia pill because mm-hmm. these drugs are out there that can induce um, amnesia on a, on a small scale. So, you know, you take a drug and then you enter this game and then if it's realistic enough, you think, oh, this is just my life. And maybe it takes a few hours to wear off, but for, for those few hours, it would be pretty compelling. Yeah. So so we're, we're in the rabbit hole, and I think I found another crevice that will take us down another door. So follow me down this new door, okay? Okay. <laughs> I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast a little while ago, and he had this guy named uh, uh, Graham Hancock and uh, this other guy named uh, Randall Carson. And they have you know, these these theories, compelling theories nonetheless. And mind you, I am just an armchair um, dummy, <laughs> spewing out the things that these guys have said. But it seems very interesting to think that 12,000 years ago, there was this massive, massive, massive fucking um, asteroid collision. And I don't know where, but it caused a uh, an insane, an insane uh, sort of change in the world's climate. And not only that, but whole continents. Um, whole pieces of landmass were uh, went underwater, you know. So, so I'm thinking about like you know if there was ever in, in the grand scheme of things, us as humans, we've been humans, Homo sapiens, for around 250,000 years, I think, right? Um, we can trace back the lineage to 250,000 years, something like that. And, and it just perplexes me to think that we had all the components, we had all the parts inside the mind. And yet we never developed, you know, civilizations in that time span. And, I, and you know, we in our time span, time span right now, we developed it serendipitously, you know, in the last 10,000 years. And, and so the theory behind the Randall Carson guy, he's like this. There was human civilizations before 12,000 years ago. And the whole, you know, story of Atlant- Atlantis that was a whole continent that used to exist, and now it's underwater. And 97% of the world's oceans are underwater uh, or are undiscovered. So obviously we, we wouldn't know if it's out there. Um, and it just had me thinking, like, whoa, holy shit! You know, wh- what if there were more advanced civilizations back in the day? And what if, what if, what if we're, what if we're really them? <laughs> And it's not the year 2015. It's actually the year 15,219, 15, you know? Yeah. And, and, and and we're all playing Roy right now. <laughs> we're all playing that's, Roy. See, that t- see, that's yeah. all I wanted to say. I just it, I spent that whole time <laughs> just to bring it down, bring it back to Roy. <laughs> <sighs> I, I think it was worth it. Thank you. No, I, I love that kind of, you know, re-examining history – and finding out that we were often smarter than we thought we were. Yeah. For instance, I may have heard this on the Joe Rogan podcast, actually. Uh, it was some guy talking about how when they were building the pyramids, uh, they're made of these giant stones. And for a long time, it was a mystery. How did we, how did they get these stones? How did they move them up so high? Where did they, and they transported them from some quarry that was a hundred miles away. How did they do all that? Uh, and recently, they uncovered an archaeological site where they found these giant clay-coated roads. And so what they think the Egyptians were doing is they would dig up these big blocks and then they would put them onto these clay roads with a thin film of water on top. And when you do that, you create a little cushion of water, a little 
hydraulic cushion, hmm. and you can push the the blocks on it fairly easily. And not only that, but if you have a bunch of people yanking on it, you can get it up to a pretty high speed. It'll it'll carry speed because there's not a lot of friction. And so that is insane. That even back then they, they had this whole type of of science that we don't even that's been totally forgotten, which is which is sand hydraulics. Yeah. And not only would they do these clay roads, but they would also do you know they would. They would use sand hydraulics for hoisting these things up real high. Basically, it's like it's like you know fluid hydraulics that we do now, water hydraulics or whatever, um, except you do it with sand. So you fill up a big thing with sand, and then you let the sand out, and then you use that energy to pull a big brick up into the air. Um, but th- they were masters of this this science that we know nothing about and we don't use anymore. Man, these are lessons that history's trying to trying to teach us. You know, these are like these are like you know, you, hey, you had an opportunity, you missed it. You know, it, yeah. it might take another kind of like uh, Romans inventing cement and taking it two thousand years for uh, us to finally come around and realizing, oh shit, there's this thing called cement, but the Romans yeah, had it exactly. Yeah. Or I just watched a documentary recently called Tim's Vermeer. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen that? No, en- enlighten me, sir. It's worth it's worth watching for sure. Um, Tim's Vermeer. Tim's Vermeer, like the painter Vermeer. Okay. And um, basically, it's about this guy who builds a device that it's an optical device that Vermeer would have been able to build in his time. It uses all technology that was around back then, and it allows this guy who's not a painter, who's never painted before, to paint a Vermeer. And it looks exactly like a Vermeer. He even he you know he he sets this the scene. He builds the scene and the building just like in one of Vermeer's famous paintings. And he gets you know models and all the appropriate time appropriate clothing and instruments and stuff. And he paints it using this device, and it looks exactly like it. Wow. And and it the the theory is you know maybe. All these guys, all these really, really precise, you know, photographic painters from the Renaissance and the the Northern Renaissance were actually using technology to reproduce this. It's more like it's more like a photograph than a painting. Um, and when you start looking at Northern Renaissance paintings with this in the back of your mind. It's it's it seems obvious. I mean, the, the the level of detail in these paintings is absolutely insane, wow. and the subtlety of how light spreads on a wall is is crazy. And just like painting every fibers, you know, every single fiber of uh, uh you know, the, the inside the folds of some really elaborate patterned dress. How, how in the world did they get their heads around that? Well, they weren't. They were using technology. And the other really interesting fact there is. Um, Vermeer's neighbor, who was apparently his best friend and the executor to his will, mm-hmm. was a lens craftsman, and he made microscopes. Wow. wow. And so, for sure, it seems to me that he was using he was using this lens setup the whole time. And what it what it means is that technology has always and same thing with the with the pyramid example. Technology has always been a, a huge part of creating art, 
as much as we like to romanticize the individual artist alone in their studio with nothing but their paints and their canvas. No, even paint is technology. It's mm -hmm. difficult to mix paint properly. You have to, you have to, there's all these techniques you have to learn and you get all the right brushes and you have to know how to prepare the canvas and stretch the canvas. Yeah. So technology is eternally linked with art. That's how we make art. You want to see? I, have you seen the um, on Netflix? There's this documentary on Hayao Miyazaki, the creator of oh. My Neighbor Totoro, and yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I haven't seen the documentary though. <gasps> oh my god! Holy crap! You're gonna get inspired, man. This shit is so good. It's so good. Um, and it's and it kind of just you speaking about Vermeer. It just sort of reminded me of this documentary because here's this guy who's who's. Ah man, it's it, he's he's so complex and and he's so three dimensional as a character as a person. You know, he's he's manic depressive, um, and yet he's able to put out these amazing works of art with the help of technology. You know, you think that you know this uh that these animation studios where it's just uh where they draw hand draw. Um, you know, they're the characters like there's there's not much you know technology involved, but. Just like you said, the techniques themselves are technology, um, and then yeah, obviously they're using computer renderings and all that other stuff as well. And but but um, I don't think they use computer renderings, but they use computer animation, um, and it's uh, it's crazy because in my think my my the why the the reason why I admire him so much is kind of like uh, there's other documentary um, hero or Jiro loves sushi. Oh yeah, uh huh. Jiro dreams of sushi. That that one. That is, you know, there's something, there's something amazing about a type of person that is so dedicated to their work that way, with mm -hmm. this um, almost obsession, you know. And it's um, yeah, it's 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 kind of inspiring. It's also you know, it it it's also sobering, um, because there is some um, geopolitical statements being made in the movie and the Hayao Miyazaki movie that made me realize like, holy fuck, dude, the world is changing on us. Um, but you'll, I won't spoil it for you. You'll see what I mean yeah, later I'm on. Yeah, I'm definitely going to watch that. That sounds really cool. It's a good, good movie. So a good documentary. I love, I love Miyazaki. What's your favorite Hayao Miyazaki movie? Oh, man. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's the easy one, but Spirited Away is yeah. really it's just incredible. Yeah, I, I like Howl's Moving Castle a lot too. Have you seen Princess Mononoke? Uh huh. Uh huh. Man, dude, that's it's epic. That is that is that is the right word for it. It's epic. <laughs> yeah, because it's so good and it and at it starts off in my mind. I was like, oh, this is gonna be another kitty movie. It's gonna no, dude. As soon as I saw a head they fly right off into it, like. <laughs> Killing giant demons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, that was probably that's my favorite one so far. Um, because it has it has this deeper message about human civilization and progress and our encroachment on nature and how we don't give a fuck about nature as long as we're making money or as long as we have, you know, uh, as long as we're making uh, compromises that don't think about the long term. Uh, for the species, in my mind, mm -hmm. or maybe I was just well, weighing too much in my head at the time. No, that's I think that's exactly what it's about, and I think that's a theme that goes through a lot of his films. If you've ever seen um, Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind, hmm. it's 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 very similar actually, uh, thematically to Princess Mononoke. Um, it's kind of about that same you know nature versus civilization dichotomy. Yeah. yeah, speaking uh, the other, listening to you talk about um, 
the lighting and the art earlier. I mean, it just sort of has sparked this random thought about how lately I've been experimenting and learning a lot about lightning, lighting and game engines. And yeah. holy shit, I have a newfound appreciation for lighting and game engines. And now that I play video games, like I am playing Battlefront and I'm just so much more cognizant of the lighting and I'm like, wow, that's a good shadow. And holy shit, how they yeah. get that reflection there. It's, um, yeah. it's insane. It's insane to like, to think that, you know, we're at a point where like, we're able to, um, simulate this n natural process or processes that happen in the world, mm -hmm. and we're able to run them around in in these fake spaces. It's crazy, man. Yeah, that's like, one thing I've always really valued about learning game development is not only does it make you more aware of good lighting and stuff like that in video games, it makes you appreciate nature so much. Because mm. I make a lot of games that are out in nature and trying to build trees and simulate lighting and shadows and that sort of thing. Yeah. And then you go out into real nature, and nature is doing all that stuff all the time effortlessly. Yeah. You know, it's got built-in uh, global illumination. Nature's got built-in subsurface scattering. It's, it's, and it's so effortless for nature. That's what I love. Yeah. Yeah, the, you see, at the same time, at the same time, I got to say that... Um, um, that at the same time, I gotta say that uh, it's uh, having being aware and being familiar and fidgeting and uh, toying around, experimenting with game engines has made me more critical of Hollywood movies and their CG. <laughs> Man, like I like the other day I was um when I when I went to jail I was at the I was they, they had a TV there and they were playing uh, behind enemy lines the one with Owen Wilson. And I remember looking at the scenes where, like, the jets were dodging missiles and shit, and it, and it was clearly computer-generated. And I was just like, man, you can do that so much better in Unreal right now. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I was just, yeah. yeah, it was just every little nitpicky thing where they put out CG. I was just like, man, I just can't look at these movies the same way knowing what I know. Are you feeling, are you feeling jaded, too? Like, are you going to go watch the new Star Wars movie and be like... Fuck, you know, you're, this, well, the, this lighting here doesn't feel right, or that, yeah, I, or I can totally, I don't know. What do you? How do you go into these things? Well, High Enemy Lines is, you know, a ten-year-old movie or something. It is. It is. To be and fair, I, it is pretty old. I was watching some Bond, some Pierce Brosnan Bond movie, and the CG was horrible. But you know, it's twelve years old, um, and it's come a long way. I mean, the I always, I always say the curse of being a game designer and a fan of of 3D animated films is that when you go to a Pixar film, you you see what the game engine is going to be able to do in three years. And so you're constantly making games. You're constantly uh, getting shown what you're not going to be able to do for a while. Holy fuck. And it's just like torturous. <laughs> how does that, I mean, how do you, how do you work around that as a, as a, as a business owner though? Like, you know, cause it's, it's one thing to go approach it as a developer, but how do you approach that as a, as a person who's trying to, you know, make a living here? I, I mean, you know, it's all about the aesthetic that you pick because right. you don't have to pick a realistic aesthetic. And I made that mistake a bunch of times with my games, trying to make realistic games in VR. It's, it's very difficult right now. Um, and so I'm slowly learning that if you stylize things, not only is it easier, but it can it can be more immersive because you don't notice all the little things that are just a little bit off. 
you know, like job simulator is a, is a good example of this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's abstracted a little bit. So, so you're not nitpicking at every little detail. You kind of just accept the aesthetic. Yeah, I was you. There's something to this for sure because I was listening to a um, a programmer from Sony or an engineer from Sony talk about the some some lessons and some tips and tricks for developing for PSVR, and he was talking about how um, you know people are very critical of real world environments. Um, if mm-hmm. something just doesn't feel right, if some, the light doesn't bounce right, right off something the, the proper way, or if, or if the scale isn't, you know, just if the scale doesn't feel right, people, you know, it takes away from immersion. So he's just like abstract and stylized environments. Um, it's hard for the human brain to, or for people to grasp onto something to judge it on. So they're easier to let go. Um, yeah, uh, they can be more expressive too. Like if you look at Journey, for instance. The sand doesn't look like real sand, mm. but it's very expressive sand. That's a good word of saying. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's like its own character in it, in it about it itself. It changes color. It's uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just yeah, it's man. You can that, put more emotion into it. Mm-hmm. I hope that that game company jumps into VR. I, it's just. Oh man! Have you played Land's End? I mean, I, 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 uh-huh. I, Journey and Land's End sort of, in my mind, sort of parallel each other in a in a, in a yeah. couple ways. Um, but Land's End, I just played it a couple days ago, and it was uh, it was good. I played a couple chapters at a Starbucks. With my, um, I don't have a Gear VR uh, like phone to play mm-hmm. with, so like I had a friend who brought his phone as a Starbucks and playing Land's End, and uh, nice. it was it's awesome. Gorgeous. It is, it is. It reminds me so much of Journey. And actually, um, it was funny because I was, uh, I, I turned on the pass-through camera uh, on the device, mm-hmm. and I was, yeah, and I just, and I, the cool thing is, like, I, kn- I could see people looking at me, and they didn't know that I was <laughs> looking at them. Um, and yeah, people were, like, looking at us, <laughs> or at me, and they're like, you know, laughing. They're like, what is that? What's going on? What is he doing? <laughs> it's awesome. It was awesome. Um, have you taken, do you have Gear VR? Mm-hmm. Do you take it out in public or uh, try yeah, it out? I, at I'll go dev in a coffee shop and test builds. And, and yeah, I, I, people are, I, people I've seen have, are surprisingly okay with it or uninterested in it. Yeah. A lot of the times they just sort of like, oh yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's um. Did you do you are are you able to get work done? Uh, like, do people approach mm-hmm. you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Every once in a while, you know, you get a personal come and want to try it. But honestly, I love doing that. You know, that's part of our job right now. Yeah. Is is to is to teach people about this new technology and make sure that they're not afraid of it. Yeah. What's the biggest? What 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 do you think are the you know just biggest fears that people will say firsthand that you've run into or that they'll they'll comment on? I don't know. Well, with gear, it's mm-hmm. not a fear, but the most common comment is, "Does it work with iPhone?" Really? No, it doesn't. Sorry, I know nobody has Samsung phones. Wow. But what that also means is, if Apple ever does make this. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a, a total game changer. Do you think it's a matter of if or when for Apple jumping into VR? Honestly, I could see Apple going straight to AR mm-hmm. and leapfrogging VR entirely, which would be sad for me. But at the same time, the stuff I'm working on from here on out, I think is gonna work both in AR and VR. So I would, I would be okay with it. 
I hope they do both. <laughs> it would make sense. I mean, yeah, this is where, yeah, I, I uh, it'd be nice. I mean, it depends on how well the Gear VR sells, basically. Do you, what do you, so in my mind, so right now all eyes are on Gear VR. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not just the co- co- consumers and the enthusiasts. It's also the competitors and the co- other companies. They're all looking at like, all right, I wonder how, um, I wonder how competitors are gauging, if at all, uh, how the Gear VR is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they have. Um, oh, they got to be watching it. I mean, HTC. It makes so much sense for HTC to make a Gear VR competitor yeah. with Lighthouse support. I mean, that would be so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gear. I want, well, th- that yes, it would be awesome. Um, Gear VR input is is that is that going to be resolved in the next generation? You think like, or are we going to still be with gamepads and stuff? I don't I, mind gamepads, but no. I, I mean, know. if by next generation you mean whenever the S6, is that the next S7? I think so. Whenever yeah. that one comes out? I don't think so. But maybe for the Note 6, mm-hmm. I think maybe they'll have cooked something up by then. I don't know. I don't have I don't have any information. Is VR happening too fast, just the right, just the right amount, amount, or is it going too slow for you? I think the pace now that we're start we're like really starting is good but it just took a long damn time (laughs) to to get here i mean i was joking with someone the other day like 2016 man it's gonna be the it's gonna be the year of vr but i've been saying that for the past three years (laughs) wait what you knew so i was saying uh, I was I was way too optimistic. I, I was like in 2013. I was like, wait till next year, man. Wait till next year. So I'm that guy <laughs> that you would reach. You'd like, hey, so how, where's where's the VR? like next year, man? I'm telling you, next year. Um, so where did you get 2016? You were just all right. How things work? Well, no, no, now, now okay, I'm okay. saying. That. Oh, okay, now you said. No, no, no. Sorry for the for the for the past few years, I've been saying this year, like the year that we're currently in, <laughs> yeah. 2013, 2014, 2015. This is the year. Months, not years. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, do you feel like? Um, uh, do you think it's going to accelerate? Uh, do you think that it's going to hit some speed bumps? Um, what do you think? I think it's, I mean, I think, so it's the adoption curve, you know, and once, once that ever, that, that big chunk that we're trying to get into it gets into it, then yeah, it's going to be a huge deal and it's going to be widely adopted by everyone. I was, um, I was on Reddit a little while ago and I saw that kink.com is uh, putting together, they just, did their first uh, VR porn shoot. Mm. Um, here's the thing, you know, it, I, go into, I mean, I'm trying to follow uh, with consumer adoption. What is it that people want here? You know, what is, and I, and I think, um, I think it, that if we want to make a killer app, you and I, Aaron Limke, is we have to create um, the most, the uh, virtual reality fetish island. <laughs> and this is where you you put on a headset, a VR headset, and you can do whatever you want, whoever you want, um, except children, assholes, and then and then and 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 be yeah, and just explore every fetish that you can imagine. Um, I'm telling you, man, fetish I mean, island people are VR. Curious. People are curious. Yeah, they are, and and they're also ashamed to try new things. Yeah. We're, 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 we're bonobos, man. We're still, we're still carrying the gene of the bonobo, you know, and I wish we were more bonobo than chimpanzee in today's world. Um, but 
but listen man we got this is this is an opportunity to tap into that you know to create an outlet for that energy that pent-up energy the world needs to get fucked that's what i'm saying everybody everybody in the world needs to go fuck themselves like literally fuck themselves because it's because it's good it's good for you you know um i'm not gonna say how many times i master i masturbate a day but i'm telling you it's healthy for you um, <laughs> <laughs> um i i have a friend who uh i i interact with uh in vr in different social apps um and i met him in person and you know super nice guy um dressed in normal men's clothing and then i noticed in vr he started uh picking women avatars mm. and 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 representing himself as a woman in vr and then the next time i hung out i met him in real life he was dressed up like a woman he had purple hair on and he had a dress and or she had a dress and uh i don't know if it's true but maybe vr facilitated this change maybe vr gave him the confidence to do something that he'd always wanted to do which is dress like a woman and you know whether that's true or not, if it is, that is really, really fucking cool. That is awesome. You, you were, you, you're finding out that it's, you know, you, you simulate what it'd be like to be your true self, and you find yeah. out, oh, it's not so bad. And then, and then it's, it's like, um, it's like how you, how like people like Howard Rose are desensitizing people from arachnophobia or something, and you like, mm. you give them virtual spiders and you just desensitize them to that, and they're like, all right, well, in the real world, it's not that bad. So I'm, I'm imagining that it's sort of the same neural pathways where you're like, yeah, it's, you know, it's not that bad. People don't really care, and you know, they're, they're, it's actually okay to be who I want to be. Yeah. Um, on the other yeah. hand, it is awesome. On the other hand will we will that could what is the other side of the coin for that you know are we it's so one one is yeah you become you know who you want to be i mean this guy wants to be a woman um are we going to see more racist in vr because they realize that oh shit no one can do anything to me and i can be this you know just who i want to be and but here's the thing it's a free country you can say whatever the fuck you want and Mm -hmm. um but but at the same time there's 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 always this you know conversation in our society about you know where do you draw the line between your free speech and bullying and terrorism and incitement of violence and all that other Mm -hmm. stuff you know but how will that play out in vr is going to be very fascinating i think i don't know man i mean there's gonna there's definitely gonna be the um behaviorist debate again for vr which is the the violent video games make violent people debate, mm. um, and I, I I don't know. I think either way, the debate is good for VR because it's going to put VR at the forefront, and the more people talk about it, the better. Even if it's in a slightly negative way, um, I think we're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah, it's very early. Hey, by the way, it's already an hour and 18. Uh, do you still have time to keep talking, or do you have to go back to working on the metaverse? I have a, I have someone coming over in 30 minutes. Okay, let's let's cut it off in 10. Yeah, bring. Yeah, him. and then I can do a little a little song for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Okay. Um, good. What else is on your mind? What anything that you've thought that you've been thinking about that you'd love to chat uh, bring up? So I've been trying to come up with cool room scale games 
and I was playing around in the Vive last night in um, somebody uploaded in the Steam VR forums. It's this giant 3D scan of a, of a castle in Germany, I think. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I ended up in this really dark room and I was crawling around on the ground, like getting really close to the rocks, looking at the rocks. And it kind of made me realize crawling could be a really fun way to do room scale. If you're on the ground and you have to get like, crouch down and get real, real up close next to things and examine them, um, and when you're doing that too, it's harder to do a really fast 180 like you can if you're standing. Mm-hmm. So it'd be really easy to load in, you know, change the environment behind people when you know they're looking at this thing. And so you can kind of morph the the room as they're as they're walking around or crawling around in it. I don't know. That's just a crazy idea that I had last night. No, it's not. No, it's not, sir. You that is that is this is the um, you are on on the track to be the next Hideo Kojima because you if you think about Metal Gear um, mm-hmm. as a tactical espionage sort of game, half of the time you're crawling underneath shit mm-hmm. in that game. So maybe you want to create a Metal Gear for VR where people are crawling be- behind boxes, uh, underneath boxes, or, you know, looking behind would, corners. It would be so, so fun. Yes, it would be. Yes, it would be. I actually thought about doing that um, for the Vive Jam that they held in Austin yeah. a while back. I wanted to make a stealth game. Uh, and when I started thinking about it, I realized you kind of you kind of need body tracking to mm. do it right because... If your hand is sticking out from behind a pillar or something in the Vive, they're not really going to be able to see you. Um, or like if your knee is, rather, because your knee doesn't have a controller. Um, and so, and the other thing is the Vive tracking volume isn't quite big enough to have a satisfying stealth level. Because oh. you can you can kind of get across it in two big leaps. Um, but, man, that's that's my dream is, is just like warehouse scale, body tracked VR stealth game. Yeah, play it, make it, um, turn it into a, um, I don't know, a, a full multiplayer experience. So you're not playing with NPCs, you're playing with real people who are like looking for you and your snake. And I don't know. Yeah, let's well, kind of hide and go seek. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's cool. Like I feel like a lot of the, um, a lot of the games that you and I played as children be- before there was much internet to. And cat videos, like you, there, a lot of it was uh, our imagination. Like, don't step on the lava, or the, don't. Uh, or, or I remember I used to spin and spin and spin around and sit, like pretending that I was a helicopter. But in VR, I can be a helicopter. Mm-hmm. I can live the dream. Um, don't step on the lava would would be another great game for once we have body tracking. Because mm-hmm. right now we have no feet tracking. But oh, you could have such fun. It's like a real world platformer at that point. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Um, how, how about you? Remember, did you ever play House? I was always the dog when we ever played House. But it was, uh-huh. it was, it was. Uh-huh. Yeah, that could be. That could turn into a VR role playing simulation where, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah, come, 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 watch what it's like to be. Because here's the thing: there's people um, who don't live, um, who who don't. Who, for example, uh, what if you could simulate or role play um, what it'd be like to be an American family or a Japanese family, mm-hmm. or you know that? And I don't know how you would, you know, move the progress of the narrative forward with this, but it'd be interesting. I mean, I don't know how The Sims do it either. Um, is this does The Sims have a story? I don't really play Sims. I don't think- Not really. I mean, each 
each character has their own life story that sort of becomes the story, but there's not really an overarching narrative for everybody. Yeah. What's what's the Achilles heel of the Vive at this point? You said a little bit the room tracking is not big enough. Can it can it be scaled? I mean, it's no, it's it's big enough for most stuff, but yeah. for a stealth game specifically, it's not quite big enough. Although, you know, I I have my Vive set up in my basement here, and I've got a you know a space that's bigger than than the recommended space, so I can go outside the chaperone. Mm-hmm. And it's you can go ten feet outside the chaperone, and it's still tracking you. Wow! So 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 yeah, I mean, it, it could go bigger. I feel like this is just they wanted to be super safe with the uh, whatever, like nine by twelve or whatever it is. And, and the chaperone can't be like uh, modified to extend further more, or is it just I locked? I don't at- think so. Oh. Maybe you could if you hacked into the Steam VR stuff, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, it's just a little drop-down menu in, in the Unity component right now. Yeah, I remember playing a little bit with it. So, um, is it getting easier to develop with it, or how hard? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was easier than the Oculus SDK <laughs> for a while, honestly. Yeah, there's it, when it well, in my experience at the at Burning Man, like when it works, it's amazing. It was, <laughs> it's amazing, but it broke a lot, and I don't know if it was because of the conditions of the environment, um, but. But did it, does yours have the same issues, like, or does it work like seamlessly? Once I got it set up and calibrated, it's worked perfectly the whole time. Nice, that's awesome. Are you running on a like on a nine seventy or nine eighty? Yeah, I'm on a nine seventy. How's it? How's it handling the Vive? Uh, it's good. Yeah, it's, it it runs all the demos perfectly fine, and yeah, it's great. That's all you need. Awesome. Okay, well, all right. Well, I'm going to leave it at that unless you have any last final thoughts, good sir. Um, I have a final thought on the Vive and motion control in general. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I've realized prototyping stuff with the Vive and trying out different demos is up until now, VR has been very focused on the head, the human head and the human perceptual system, or the, sorry, the human visual system. Uh, because that was, that's all we had. That's, that's the only thing we could really get good at. Um, and that's the first component that you need to then interact with the other parts like hands. Um, but now that we have hands, I'm realizing interacting with stuff with your hands is way more interesting and way more deep than just walking around and looking at stuff. Interacting with your hands is what VR is all about. Hmm. It's it's so intuitive, and the the instrument that I'm building, anyone can walk up and play this. Any non musicians and musicians alike. There, it's we're so used to messing around with stuff in the real world with our hands that once you bring your hands into VR, you can do anything, and it's it's super super intuitive. So that was that was my big takeaway so far is that. Hands are really the most interesting thing about VR. Will we ever see haptic gloves? I I, I don't know. I don't know if you need haptic gloves. Really? Um, I but it'd be nice if I could like if I if I um if I could pick up an object on Apple and I can and I can mm-hmm. feel some smoothness and I can pick up. Um, Evie, sorry, Evie, go away. Stop. Chill out. Hey, no, this no, calm down. That, that's not helping. It's not, sorry, she's being uh, insubordinate. Evie, <laughs> Evie, I taught you better. All right, she's done. 
All right. Uh, where was I? Um, yeah, you know, like, is, is the idea of a haptic glove dead? You know, what do you think? Or I just can't see any technology that would lead to that happening. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I don't know enough about it, but to me, it seems real, real tricky to make one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, what other sort of input do you think uh, would go hand in hand with with VR? You know, I think. Sorry, go ahead. And before you go ahead, enlighten me, there is this TED Talk that I saw a little bit ago on Reddit that was posted on Reddit. This guy had uh, put together a, a belt sort of contraption, and you would breathe in, breathe out, and the belt was... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's called Deep or something. Deep. Mm-hmm. That's um that's a very interesting, very uh, fascinating way of going about capturing people's breaths. Um, but so so you know in in that line of thinking, what other inputs do you think uh, creative inputs do you think that we'll be seeing as well? Well, I, I think deep is super cool. It is that that guy's really onto something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I really believe once people experience VR with full body tracking, uh, it's it's gonna it's gonna be a a complete shift in what VR is and and really how people think about themselves and their body. Um, I've had the chance once to do full mocap suit VR up in Seattle and looking down at your arm and seeing something else, someone else's arm is incredible feeling. And it's a type of presence that I'd never felt before. It's different than presence on high end VR that, that we're all used to. It's, it's really, you feel like you are that avatar and I, I just I cannot wait to see what people create once we have that. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that is I that is that is a wide open ocean of possibilities, mm-hmm. but hardware is a hard nut to crack. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's it's true. People aren't gonna want to put on these suits. I think if. I mean, there's got to be something you can do with lighthouse tracking, just to put a bunch of little trackers all over you. Um, I don't know. That's that's not my job to figure that out. But <laughs> but it, it has. I mean, if you think about the past, whatever, three or four years since whenever the DK1 came out, it's every you know every year or every six months we'll get a new uh, bit of hardware, a new uh, something new that the hardware can do that completely shifts the design space and what we're trying to design for. So for instance, the DK one only had head tracking, had a really pretty crappy display. And then the DK two introduces positional tracking, which totally changes what you want to design for and the types of games you can make and how stuff works and what's good and what's not. Um, and then, you know, the gear VR, we, we now have, we stuck to take a step back. So we don't have, positional tracking anymore but we have all these other cool features like pass through and this touchpad um and now we're we're talking about room scale which is which is really two big new features in one which is walking around positional tracking that you can walk in plus these motion controllers and so again our our design target has been completely changed and shifted so i think it's it's actually kind of a boon for developers who've been in it the whole time because we're we're accustomed to be at, to being re- agile with our designs and to having to rethink things, you know, like I said, every six months or so. 
is this presetting the precedent for a future format wars? Like we see Blu-ray versus the yeah, HD DVD, uh, VHS versus. So uh, w- it's going to be Lighthouse versus Optical, and mm. I wish it wasn't <laughs> happening. I wish we got both. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I wish Oculus would just use Lighthouse. Really. I mean, it's, yeah. Okay. Hold, all right. Please uh, let me. I want to hear your argument. Um, okay. I'm not. I, I. I don't usually do this, but Oculus, I'm gonna do some free work for you. Okay. I'm gonna, <laughs> right, please, please, please. Uh, what's your argument? Oculus is easier setup. Sure, I'll give you that. But not having 360 tracking of controllers is it. It changes again. It changes what you can things you can make with it, yeah. and. Being in a room, so the, the the game that I made for the Vive Jam in Austin was called Cyber Snake, and you had this little snake that followed your controller around, and you were collecting things, and it was sort of this 3D maze that you would walk around the room, and the room morphed behind you when you weren't looking, so it was like a never-ending maze, kind of. Um, and it, it was incredible, because you would play it for 10 minutes or so, and then and you would get completely lost in it. And then you would take your headset off, and be completely disoriented like well i didn't think i was facing this way i thought you know i thought i was over there right you know so that feeling of losing a sense of the room orientation is only possible with room scale and that's that's a type of immersion that not only feels really cool when you when you're in a scene and you're just like i have no idea where i am i couldn't tell you what my real room looks like um it's 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 amazing yeah yeah, and it, and it can only get even better as the moment they get rid of the cable. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it's gonna be a while for the the cable's not that bad. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and say it. I don't mind the cable that much. <laughs> it's down at your feet. I don't like. I'm. I don't even really think about it. I think more about like hitting the wall with my controller. Or something. Never, never tripped over the cable. Not badly. Oh, um, ah, but it's I happened. Think maybe I'm pretty good at it. Because okay. I've done it a bunch, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really bother me that much. Is is um is is there a lawsuit incoming if uh, if people <laughs> trip over the cable and uh, slam their heads on the ground and the uh, glass goes through and pierces through their eyes and into their cerebral cortex? Probably. <laughs> I didn't need to say all that, but probably yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, let me. All right, let me take the side of Oculus here, okay? All right. Sure. Uh, you don't need to hire me, Oculus. Just, just I'm doing this for free for you. But if um, you want to. But if <laughs> I'll consider it. Here's the thing. Um, I agree in the sense that there is ex- there's something extremely powerful in realizing that holy crap i wasn't here before i'm now here and i was somewhere there's some 100 percent. there's something extremely powerful there but but my reasoning for why the oculus tracking can be really really good um and keyword can be um so I'm, I'm focusing more on the potential, really, not what it is right now. That's kind of the story of my life. Um, the potential of the uh, computer vision tracking, uh, I think, is immense because I think just thinking about all the telepresence uh, sort of applications that you can put out, um, the next Skype of virtual reality, a new form of Facebook where you have cameras that are bringing your real world body into the virtual world um and then just that i think will have 
will augment the sense of presence. You know, when I oh, look, I see what you're saying. When I look down at my body in in VR, and I'm like, oh snaps! I'm yeah. wearing my sweater and my my blue pants that I always wear, and then, yeah, and it's like, it's it, it it that future. I don't know how long it'll take before it gets here, mm-hmm. but it's extremely compelling. I mean, that's why you know I, I don't uh, dismiss Oculus quite yet in terms of you know they have challenges. They they really do. Um, but I think mm-hmm. that um. I personally would love the day where I can have a chat with my grandma in Nicaragua and she's putting on a rift and she's projected on towards in the same projected through the computer vision algorithms in the same virtual space as me. And yeah, it's, that would be nice. You're you're totally right. Being able to see your actual body in VR is a big deal (sighs) and it feels really cool. Uh, I've, I got to try a thing in Portland an experience called Wild, mm-hmm. where they had a, it's this room scale deal, and they had a bunch of Connect set up, and they're tr- you're wearing a Gear VR, and they're tracking your gear, and they're beaming all this Connect data to the gear, and so you look down at your arm, and you see this sort of pixelated, fuzzy version of your arm, but you, the shirt that you're wearing is there, and it's you know your hands look like your hands, and it's really really powerful, and that's seeing stuff like that, and then you know strapping the Leap Motion to my DK2. And doing the pass-through uh, hand tracking, where you can see your hands, and they're—it's just the video of your hands. That is is really amazing, and I and I don't think that I don't think that Vive um, excludes that. So the Vive is going to have a couple of cameras on the front. Yeah. And I don't know the dev kit doesn't have, but I haven't—I don't know anything about it really. But conceivably, you could do a similar thing where you're doing video pass-through of certain parts of your body that are being tracked yeah i am excited particularly about lighthouse for the reason for the reason that joe the joe ludwig did a talk a little bit ago where he laid out sort of the vision for lighthouse or what the you know what would be the, the dream for it and the dream for it it would be for lighthouse to become kind of like wi-fi everyone yes. has it Everyone has it, and you wherever you go, you know, and so you put on your mobile VR and at a cafe, and all of a sudden you have positional tracking because it has lighthouse in there, um, it, you know, it's just or public parks where you'll have public lighthouse and everybody gets tracked. That would be the dream. Like if it, if if lighthouse became as ubiquitous as uh, as as Wi-Fi, I mean, I mean the potential is immense. Um, so I don't know. Um, I I agree. Yeah, they they both have their. Uh, they, uh, they're pros and cons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. And and are you gonna? And, and here's the thing: like, can you go? Can you go for both? And by going for both, are you diluting what you could potentially create if you just sort of laser focus on one? What do you think? Well, I think you can make cool stuff in room scale on the Vive, but you can also make cool stuff for not room scale. Um, and the key again in the same way as designing for, you know, cardboard gear and the rift, it's, it's wise to pick a design that'll work for all of them. Um, and so in designing the, the new thing that I'm working on from the beginning, I've been focusing on, okay, well, you know, we can do all this crazy stuff in the Vive, but let's make sure that, you know, all of it's kind of happening, happening in front of you so that if we want to port this to, to Morpheus or to the Rift, it, it'll it'll still work. Yeah. So it's just about how you design it. 
Definitely. Execution is big. Mr. Lemke, it has been an honor and pleasure, as always, to have you on the show. Good, sir. Um, do you have any – how can people, before we uh, listen to this amazing uh, – can't wait, your uh, musical experience that you're about to put me put us through, um, how can people follow what you're doing, um, keep up with your work, and support all the good stuff that you're up to? So I'm on Twitter. um UnelloDesign.com, or sorry, just at UnelloDesign, U-N-E-L-L-O Design, and then the website is UnelloDesign.com. Um, uh, yeah, you can follow me on on uh, YouTube if you're a YouTube person. Uh, the channel's called Unello Design. Um, yeah, or send me an, an email, UnelloDesign.com, or <laughs> I keep saying UnelloDesign.com. <laughs> um, Let's try that one again. Uh, you can send me an email at unelodesign at gmail.com. Awesome. And all the relevant links will be in the show notes, so you guys can have access to all that um, once the show is posted. Once again, thank you again. And, um, yeah, let's you go. I'll let you go ahead and take it off, and um, you know, okay. we'll, we'll leave it at that. It's always, it's always a pleasure talking to you, Chris. Dude, dude, don't even mention it, man. It's, yeah, this is, yeah, this is. This is meaning for me. This is like, yeah, this is what I, I love doing this. Um, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for you. I'm ready for you. All right, let me do some, let me switch some stuff over. Okay.
Thank you.